Good morning, my name is Hannah and I serve on the student life team here at Wheaton Bible Church. 2022 is officially here and we're excited for the new year ahead. Mark your calendars for next week, Sunday, January 16th, as we begin a 12-week sermon series taking us through the values of our church community, such as the supremacy of scripture, the centrality of the gospel, the beauty of diversity, and many more. You don't wanna miss a series. It's also a great opportunity to invite those in your life who may be searching for a church home and want to know more about our church and what we believe. We know that God made us for community. We need each other. Space outside of worship on Sundays to grow together, to laugh together, to cry together, to learn from one another, and even serve alongside each other is vital to our growth as followers of Christ. This is why at Wheaton Bible Church, we are committed to life groups. If you're not connected right now, or you are perhaps looking to join a new group, the new year is a perfect time to do that, and we wanna help you. Whether it's a life group, a Bible study, a care group, Sunday morning adult community, we can help you get connected. To learn more about which groups are available, scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, or you can check out our group's webpage at wheatonbible.org groups, where you can see a list of groups and who to contact for more information. This year marks the second of a two-year reading plan that we embarked on and takes us through all of scripture. King David says in Psalm 19, your words are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Together, we will continue to pursue a deeper friendship with God by reading two chapters a day, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. For 2022's reading plan, check out wheatonbible.org resources. Finally, now that we've ushered in 2022 and are looking forward to another year of ministry, it's time for us to once again hold our annual business meeting, which will take place in the West Worship Center on the West Chicago campus on Sunday, January 30th at 2.30 p.m. This is a time where as a church family, we come together to celebrate what God has done this past year. Members vote on new elders as well as the proposed 2022 ministry financial plan. Everyone is welcome to attend and informational packets will be available starting on Sunday, January 16th. Well, that's all we have for today. Thank you for starting your week by worshiping the Lord together. May God bless you and your loved ones today. Well, good morning to those of you here in the room and those of you joining us online. We're so glad to be back together again after Christmas and a few combined services. So welcome to the traditional service. As we start off a new year together, perhaps there's an aspect of God that you've chosen to focus on this year or one that's become extremely meaningful to you in the last few weeks. I thought it would be great to open the floor and see what's on people's minds these days as we start off a new year together. What part of God are you especially thankful for today? So, so use a loud voice, shout it out. His presence. His provision, yes. His sovereignty. Excellent. Good. One more. His mercy. Beautiful. I know today, um, in these days, for me, I've been thankful for his refuge, the way he's a refuge and a fortress. And Psalm 91 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We're going to start off the new year celebrating all God has done with to God be the glory and then declare our intentions to stand on his promises before each other and before him. Let's stand and sing. 
Would you pray along silently with me as I pray this prayer of confession for our new year? Great God of mercy and grace, we confess how prone our hearts are to wander from you. Even though you interposed your precious blood to rescue us from death, our sins deserved, we still easily wander astray like lost sheep. Instead of reverently trembling in awe and wonder before you and pursuing holiness eagerly, we constantly turn aside after our idols, ignoring your life-giving statutes and the wise rules you have laid down for us in your word. Our eyes covet the possessions you have given to our neighbors, as well as their bodies and their relationships. Our minds and our mouths are filled with unclean thoughts and words. Father, be at work in us more and more. Give us a new will that desires to obey you, then give us new strength to do the good things that you make us desire. When we do obey you, keep us from boasting as if our new obedience were something that we had accomplished by ourselves. When we fail, draw us into a deeper recognition of our utter dependence upon you and constant need of the gospel. Thank you for making us your people in Christ. Holy Spirit, Transform our hearts by renewing our minds. Spread your holiness through every corner of our lives so that we obey not out of fear, but out of joyful reverence for the God who has loved us so much. Teach us to revel in the freedom that is ours in Christ. Have your way within us according to your own good pleasure as a potter shapes the clay for his own purposes in 2022. In Jesus' name, amen.
The next two songs we're going to sing today are prayers for us as we begin our new year together as a church family as an, and as individuals. Let's stand and sing. Oh 
So we won't have problems with social distancing today. <laughs> Welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. And before doing our, our, our typical pastoral prayer, I have some great news to share with you. Oh, what was that? To share with you. Um, as you know, during the month of December, uh, the leadership of the church came to you with this significant need uh, because we needed to finish our year well, financially speaking, and we, were, I need, and we needed at the beginning of December $2.6 million to finish our year well, to actually uh, fulfill our, our pre-approved budget. Well, by God's grace and because of your gen generous giving and support of this church, I am happy to inform that we actually made our goal for 2021. Praise the Lord because we got to finish our year well. And for that, we want to give glory to God. How about we do that? You have uh, no idea. Um, how important that is for me, stepping into this new role, how humble I am by seeing that the glory of God fully displayed through you, how gracious I am uh, to the Lord and to you for your constant support uh, for this church. Um, and I think that a good verse for us to keep in mind today is this, 1 Corinthians chapter, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, in which it says, Give thanks for the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures Forever. How about we say this together? Give thanks to the Lord for His good, for His love endures forever. So as always, I want to remind you that this is part of what it means to uh, be the church. This is part of what it means to worship the Lord. Generosity is an act of worship. And if you're new to the church uh, or if, you're, if this is not part of your spiritual disciplines, I want to invite you to continue to pray for the church and support the church financially. Uh, as, as, as you know, at the end of our services, you could always give uh, your offering. There are a couple of boxes by the entrances. You could always leave your gift there. You could always go to our website, wittenbible.org, give, and you could give 
you offering there, or uh, you could even use your phone and text the word Witten Bible to 77977. Uh, this is the way I've been doing it. So I, what I did is I subscribed to that, and every month or every two weeks, uh, my offering comes straight from my check, so I don't even have to worry about giving to the church. So I want to encourage you to do that if you don't do that. Um, and let's see what the Lord does this year. Amen? Amen? Listen, I know that there's like three of you guys out there, for those of you that are worship, but you, you, I'm going to need more energy because the day is kind of, you know, dark. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful because you are a good God. You're faithful. You continue to show yourself. You continue to prove that you are a good God, a faithful God, and that you love endures forever. We are vessels, Lord. We are used by you to give you glory and for the well-being of others. Lord, we also know that this is a difficult season. We know, Lord, that COVID continues to be an issue. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus for your healing. We pray, Lord, for miracles. We pray, Lord, for protection. I pray, Lord, not only that you protect us as a church, but you protect our community. You protect DuPage, and you, pray, you protect this nation, and you protect the world because of your grace, Lord. Lord, and now we come to you knowing that at the beginning of this year, what we have been talking about, we need. So please speak to us this morning. Make your word clear to us. May the power of the Spirit may be evident. May the presence of the Spirit may be evident. May he allow us to see and understand and believe. And he, may he help us respond and submit our wills to your will. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? And the church says? Amen. I'm going to make you work today, people. All right, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Uh, I want to welcome you all again, those of you that are brave and made it to church, those of you that were able to make it to church, those of you that are worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you all again. What a, a beautiful blessing that we get to start this year together again. Amen? Uh, we have been doing this series, uh, this is actually week three of this series that we have called Unplug, Learning to Disconnect in a Connected World. And basically, what we're doing is teaching and reminding the church of the, uh, of the importance of spiritual rhythms or spiritual disciplines for the sake of our relationship with God and for the sake of our soul. Uh, so the first week, uh, Pastor Josh Laxton talked about the necessity of learning how to rest. Can you say Rest. Last week, Pastor Kyle, how many of you guys like uh, Kyle's preaching? That was the first time he was preaching here. Isn't that great? Um, Pastor Kyle talked about the importance of learning to retreat. Can you say retreat? And today, the word that we have is the word return. It's easy to remember, remember. Rest, retreat, return. And my intention today is to give you uh, kind of the outcome, to show you the outcome of what a life that practice uh, rest and retreat looks like. And I want to show you how uh, crucial it is that we learn how to rest and retreat for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of your soul. And I'm going to use Jesus as an example, as the example of a life that knew how to practice those rhythms. We're going to be looking into five different texts 
that show us Jesus either resting or retreating, and then returning to fulfill his call. Which is the same thing for all of us, by the way. We need to rest and retreat so we could then return to fulfill our call. Uh, so can you do me a favor? For those of you, oof, can you do me a favor? For those of you that have someone next to you, all right? And if, if it's next to you, you should be okay, okay? But can you tell this person, you need this. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, now you respond, no, you need this more. Go ahead. All right, let's look at the first one here. This is what we can see, that rest, that we need rest, retreat, because we need to return with the spiritual strength. Rest, retreat, so you can return with the spiritual strength. My whole argument here is about this. He's saying that without resting and retreating, you won't be able to resist a temptation and you won't be able to face the tests of life. Let me say that again. That without the spiritual rhythms of rest and retreat, you won't be able to resist temptation and you won't be able to face the test of life. The text that we are about to read is about Jesus right before he starts his ministry. Jesus is about 30 years old. He was just baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descended on him, um, and a voice from heaven, from the Father, came saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Everything is going right up until this point. Everything is beautiful. Jesus is ready to start his ministry. But look at what happened in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. First, I want you to see that the word tempted there has two different meanings. It's actually the same word used in two different ways. The word tempted there could be tempted as a test, which is when God allows someone to be tested or when God brings something for a person to be tested in order to shape that person and to see how that person responds. This is the reason why the text says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. It was God's idea to take Jesus into the wilderness to test him, to shape him, to prepare him for what was yet to come. God does that. And it's a good thing. But the second definition of the word tempted in the original is actually tempted. And what it means, tempted to sin. Now, once again, God will never do that. God will never tempt you so your sin. God will test you to shape your character. On the other hand, the devil will tempt you to see if you sin. That's why in the text the devil is called the tempter. And that's exactly what we see uh, the devil doing with Jesus. What we're about to see in this narrative is four different temptations. I'm only going to give you three that the devil brings to Jesus in order to make him fall. Now, you've got to keep in mind those two words, tempt and test. Even though it's one concept, it's used in two different ways. 
And I actually think that these two concepts always go together. Whenever we go through a temptation, at the same time we're being tested, and whenever we're being tested, the devil is going to use that as a temptation. Is that clear? Let me say that again. These two concepts, temptation and testing, always go hand in hand. Whenever you are tempted, God will use that as a test, and whenever you are tested, the devil will use that as a temptation. Now, we highlighted the word fasting because it's extremely important for us to understand that in the Bible, the word fasting, when we think about the concept of fasting, it was never just about you not eating for a period of time for the sake of not eating for a period of time. It was never about losing weight, by the way. Fasting in the Bible went always hand in hand with the concepts of meditation and prayer. All throughout the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about fasting, talks about someone that is fasting from food or fasting from something in order to meditate and pray. So we know that Jesus, when he's in a wilderness, is fasting, meditating, and praying. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Listen up, church. And he tells us that for 40 days, Jesus was fasting, meditating, and praying. And he tells us that for 40 days, the devil was tempting him. 40 days. Not just one day, not two days, 40 days. So what we, hear, what we have here in the text is the culmination of those 40 days of testing and tempting. It's the greatest temptation, if you will. And the greatest test of all. But for 40 days, Jesus is fighting against the devil by retreating and resting time and time again. By having communion with the Father time and time again. By fasting, meditating, and praying time and time again. 40 days. Now, what I want you to see is how the devil used those 40 days. And we could see it here at the end. He says that at least he gave him, he was going to tempt him with three things. And I want you to remember these three words. Identity, care, and power. Identity, care, and power. The devil tried to tempt Jesus by making him question his identity. We find that in verse 3. And he says that the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become a bread. And then in verse 6 he says, If you are the Son of God, He said, throw yourself down. See, the devil is being intentional here about using that name, the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, maybe you should do these things. But if you know that story, you know that that Jesus did not surrender to that. You know why? Because if he would have surrendered to that, he would have proved that he had problems with his own identity. The second thing, the second temptation that the devil brings is that he tried to tempt Jesus by making him question how much the Father cared for him. We find that in verse 6. If you are the Son of God, then said, throw yourself down. If you know the story, what it says, if throw yourself down, don't worry. God says that he will hold you and that his angels will support you. This is the devil saying to Jesus, listen, if you're the Son of God and he cares for you, Throw yourself down. Don't worry. God is supposed to catch you. That's the test. And the, and the third thing that Jesus brings, that the devil brings to Jesus, is that he tries to tempt Jesus by offering him power. You find that in verse 8 when he says, again, 
The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Can you see it? Identity, care, and power. That was the test. That was the reason why the Spirit led him into the wilderness. But that was the temptation that the devil was using. And to all of that, Jesus says, thanks but not thanks. Did you know if, they, if Jesus would have surrendered to any of those, he would have never accomplished his ministry. And you and I would have never been here. So the question is, how did he do it? Where does Jesus get the power in his human form to resist temptation, to not surrender to temptation, and to endure the test? Well, I already told you. From the power of fasting, meditating, and prayer. By learning to practice the disciplines of resting, retreating to the presence of God. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. If Jesus, as God, in human form, God without sin, needed to retreat and to rest in the presence of God, to resist the temptation and to, fight and to, and to conquer the test, if he needed that, being God without sin, what makes us think that we can do it without it? Don't you find it ironic that God in human form, in Jesus Christ, without sin, knows that needs to retreat, knows that needs to rest in the presence of God, to not surrender to temptation and to conquer the test? I want to argue that we need this more than what Jesus needed it. You know why? Because we're not God. And because you struggle with identity, and now you struggle with identity. You know how I know that? Because we are constantly trying to prove ourselves. We are constantly trying to prove that we are worthy. I hope I'm not the only one that can recognize that we all struggle remembering that God really cares for us. You know how I know that we struggle remembering that God cares for us? Because we worry too much. I think that we all agree that many of us, for many seasons in life, struggle with wanting power or titles or positions or prestige or recognition. Because that's part of the fallen human nature. So let me use uh, work as an example for the sake of argument. I don't think that it's any secret to anybody, to all six of us here in this room. For those of you worshiping at home, it's more than six, but it feels like six. <laughs> I don't think that it's any secret to any of us here that we are part of a society, we are part of the overworked society. Amen? We are part of a society that tells you that your identity is bound to your career. Amen? We are part of a society that tells you that you can work anytime, in any place, whenever you want to. That's what technology has done. We are part of a society that says that your worth and your value is in direct connection to how much you accomplish. That's part of our society. 
A couple of years ago, my wife and I went to visit a friend that lives in New York City. And she's part of the executive team of a large corporation. And for some reason, we started talking about vacation. And, and she said that in her vacation, in her vacation, that in her company, they're practicing something that many large corporations practice today, uh, in which they say that they, they hire people and they don't tell them. They say, you could take as, many vaca- as much vacation as you want. Just get the job done. Now, we all hear that and say, well, that's fantastic. I'll work six months and rest for six months. So that was my thing. My first question to this lady was, wait, do people actually get the job done? And she said, they have to. They don't get the job done, they get fired. So take as much, of, as much vacation you want, but get the job done. You know why they did that? Because they noticed that if they will hire people that were craving to be approved and, and crave to succeed in life, they will rest less and work more. Because most people in that company, and I would say in 99% of the companies, people are controlled by the desire of accomplishing more because they need to prove that they're valuable to the company. Don't you find that crazy? A writer from the New York Times, Judith Shulevitz, I believe is her last name, wrote an article called Bring Back the Sabbath a few years ago. And she talks about this concept of workaholism in our society and why is it that people can rest and take a Sabbath. As I was reading it, two things caught my attention. He, she said that we are part of a society, and she, the way she calls a society is this, neurotic drive to, ach- to achieve. That's a description of who we are as a society. And the second thing that caught my attention is that she said that we all struggle with this inner murmur of self-reproach. You know what she means by that? That as a, that as a general rule in our society, we can't rest even when we're trying to rest, because we are all trying to prove something. It's when, even when you take vacation, you can't rest. And even when you take your quiet times, you can't rest. Because even when you are physically not doing anything, your heart is still restless. Do you know why? Because we're still trying to prove ourselves. This is why, church, as long as we continue to be in this world, and as long as we, as we continue to be broken people, and as long as the tempter continues to be a real person living in this real world, identity is going to be a temptation. Knowing that God cares for you is going to be a temptation. And the desire for power is going to be a temptation. And the only way you're going, to, you're going to get the spiritual strength to face that is by learning to rest and retreat. And remember who God is, how much he cares for you, and who you are in Jesus. Unless you have that, no vacation is going to be enough. All right, this is family. For all six of us here, how many of you have ever taken a vacation and you come back just as tired as before? That's the issue. 
I think that we all need. I think that we all need this, desperately need this. I just took vacation, people, and I came just the same. Maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe. The preacher needs this just as much as you do. Don't you think so? Number two, we need to learn to rest and retreat because we need to return to be able to be present. What do I mean by being present? I think that most of us would agree in saying that there's a difference between being physically present and for real present. So, for example, my youngest daughter, she's an expert in this. If we are having a conversation, and because she knows how to read me well, if she noticed that I'm there but not there, she stops. And she says, Papi, are you even listening? And then it, it hits me, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, baby, what? I don't know if I'm the only one that struggles with that. But the reason why I'm going, I go through that is because even when I'm there, and I'm not busy, and I'm not doing other things, my mind is running like crazy. My mind is still going. My restless mind is still going. And what I've learned, according to what the Scripture teaches me, is that Jesus never struggled with that. Did you know that Jesus shows you what it means to be a true human? Someone that can be present when needs to be present. Someone that is not going to miss the beautiful things in life because his heart or mind is not restful. I have a perfect example of this in Mark chapter 6. Uh, the disciples are coming from performing all kinds of amazing miracles and doing all kind of, kinds of amazing things for the kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 31, it says, He said to them, Jesus to the disciples, Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So obviously here, Jesus can notice that his disciples are physically, emotionally, and most likely spiritually exhausted. And he invites them to rest with him. Now, the Bible does not tell us what the disciples do with this quiet time. We know, because the Bible makes it abundantly clear, what is it that Jesus does with quiet times. And I think that this is a great place for me to share with you the difference between isolation and solitude. It seems like synonyms, but are not synonyms. Actually, two completely different. Two completely different concepts. The disciples practiced isolation. Jesus practiced solitude. For the disciples, going away to rest was simply the fact of running away from everything for the sake of running away from everything with no, nothing specific in mind. This is where I think many of us make a mistake. We think that you walk away from everything. Because I've done that, people. If you walk away from everything, you're going to be okay. But remember that even as you run fast and run away, your mind goes with you and your heart goes with you. So it is possible to be isolated and restless. Jesus, on the other hand, practiced solitude. A time in which he retreats and he rests with a purpose in mind. 
prayer, meditation in the Word, worship, contemplation. Isn't that what Jesus did? In more than one occasion, we find Jesus exercising solitude, and immediately after that, we see him hearing things that he needed to hear and seeing things that he needed to see. You know where I get that from? Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed, after spending his time with the disciples in solitude, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. You know what's interesting? You know who else was there? The disciples. You know who was the only person that saw what he needed to see and heard what he needed to hear? Jesus. You know what that is? Presence. It's to be there when you need to be there. I'm about to make you feel guilty just for a few seconds. You get your kids for a limited amount of time. If you're a parent, you need to be present. If you're married, you get your spouse for a limited amount of time. You need to be present. If you have friends, you get your friends for a limited amount of time. You need to be present. If you got neighbors or coworkers, you only get those for a limited amount of time. You need to be present. Sometimes our hearts are so restless that we miss the beautiful things that only come once. Sometimes our hearts are so restless that we don't take advantage of divine appointments. Here. I compare this to taking a selfie or taking a picture sometimes. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes I am so eager to show the world how amazing this appointment, divine appointment with someone is, that I waste time taking a selfie or taking a picture instead of being there and enjoying what the Lord has given me. My wife and I talk about this a lot because we've done it so many different times. Oh, look at that beautiful thing. 15 minutes trying to get that thing in. Missing divine appointments. Missing the beautiful things that the Lord gives us. Missing the things that sometimes only comes once. How many of us struggle with that? Can you raise your hand? That's why you need to rest. That's why you need to retreat because you need to learn how to be present number three we need rest retreat to learn to grieve so we can return in peace matthew 14 is a text where we find part of the story of john the baptist and in Matthew 14, we find John the Baptist, uh, when we find the narrative of John the Baptist being executed or killed. And look at what happens in verse, starting in verse 12. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had, what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately 
to a solitary place. You know, I had never seen that before. First time ever. And I read that thousands of times. You know why I didn't see it before? Because in our Bibles, there's a break between Jesus hearing about John's uh, death and Jesus feeding the 5,000 ones, 5,000 people. This section is attached to the 5,000 people. But you know that those divisions are not in the Bible. Like people put it to help us understand the Bible. The problem with that division is that it doesn't allow us to see that Jesus was grieving, and because he was grieving, he needed to rest. That Jesus was struggling because his friend had been killed, and he needed to retreat. Did you know that Jesus is showing us that in order, contrary to public opinion, the way to deal with grief and pain is not to get busy and is not to try not to think and is not, not to try to get distracted and is not to try to pretend that nothing is happening and that you're not struggling and is not to vent with somebody. You can do all of that. And grief and pain still there. The reason why Jesus needed to rest, the Jesus why Jesus walked away, the, the reason why Jesus needed to retreat to the presence of his Father is because he was the only one that in his human form can give him peace. Let me share something with you that you hopefully, uh, well not hopefully, hopefully you heard before, but I'm not sure if many of you guys heard that before. Did you know that when you grieve and when you experience pain, the best thing you could do is to vent, but not to people, but to vent to God? <gasps> How could you say that, Hannibal? That would be so disrespectful. Doesn't that show my lack of faith? Am I not supposed to just hold it because I'm a person of faith? I don't know where you got that from, but that's not in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, shows us a word that appears many times, especially in the Old Testament. God says, come now. Let us reason. Let us settle the matter. Did you know that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that word reason or to settle is to argue with God, is to make a case, is to dispute with God. The Lord himself invites you to wrestle with him. The Lord himself invites you to vent with him. The Lord himself invites you to speak to him. Church, he can take it. He will take it. And I guarantee you that you will come back in peace. I was talking about this with some of the staff members. We have been talking about this concept of rest and retreat with some of the staff members. And I got this week, I got to share uh, with some of my thing. During a season in my life, I was going through something, I could say something major, one of the major things that I've gone through in my life for many reasons. Many things because I'm sinful and many things because things were going wrong, right? And for a whole month, for a whole month, I was struggling with so many different things in my heart and in my mind. And I'm trying to find peace and I just can't. And I'm trying to do what the Lord is calling me to do and I just have a really hard time. Um, 
morning after morning for one full month, I will go, I will seek for the Lord with everything. Every day, at the end of the day, I will go to sleep completely restless. For a whole month, almost every night, I would sleep only three to four hours because my mind was going crazy. And every morning for an hour and a half, for a whole month, I had to wrestle with the Lord, reason with God. You have no idea the kind of crazy things I said to him. I'm so glad that no one recorded those conversations. And every day for one month, my heart found peace. Guess what? I will be in peace for about six, seven hours. And the cycle started again. For a whole month. And somehow, at the end of that month, everything disappeared. After one month of reasoning with God. You need to learn how to rest. You need to retreat. Because that will be the only way that you can return in peace. We cannot forget what the Bible says. These two shall pass. Number four. We need to rest and retreat. Because we need to return with the mind of God. I alluded to this before, but it's important to remember that the greatest battle for humanity are the ones that we fight up here in our heads. And I've said this a number of times as a church, but you have to remember that uh, whatever we have in our heads, whatever we hold in our thoughts affects our hearts. And what affects our hearts affects our, uh, our affections and it affects our emotions. And whatever affects our minds and our hearts and affections and emotions also affect our wills. Therefore, learning to have the mind of God is extremely important. Allowing our minds to be shaped by God is extremely important. And once again, we see an example of this in the life of Jesus. Right before he chooses his 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of, those, uh, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Verse 13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Two things we learn here. To do the will of God, you need the mind of God. So while many people are looking for special revelation to find out what the will of God is, while many people are trying to find signs to find out what the will of God is, the Bible tells you that the way to actually find the will of God, you need the mind of God. And that only happens when you spend time with Him. St. Augustine used to say, love God and do as you please. You know what that means? You only get to love God when you know God. And you only know God when you rest in Him and look for Him. And when you do that, you will do what is pleasing to Him. Isn't that how all relationships work? Listen, I know exactly how my wife thinks. If I want to buy something, I know what the answer is going to be. If it's something that she would approve because I know her, everything is going to go well. If I want to buy something that she does not approve, 
I still try, but I know what the answer is. Because when you know a person, not only you love the person, but you know what the will of the person is. Isn't that what love is? To do something for the sake of somebody else. You do need, in order for you to find the will of God, to have the mind of God. And the second thing that we can learn from Jesus here is that in order for you to have the mind of God, you must first learn to rebel against the kingdom of noise. That's a phrase that C.S. Lewis used to use. In his book, The Scrutative Letters, he used this term to talk about what this world looks like, the kingdom of noise. And if you know anything about that book, it's like the devil talking to his nephew. What's interesting is that someone, a writer, took that chapter and rewrote it in a way to apply it to the 21st century. And I want to read that to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me. To have, uh, so this is the devil talking to his nephew, supposedly. You have to help humanity believe that quiet and solitude are boring and a waste of time. Have you heard that before? We must be the demon in the, worm, in the whirlwind, invading their private space, cluttering their innermost being with commotion and, and, and nonstop entertainment. Remember, our greatest ally is constant and pervasive stimulation. Make these loathsome creatures, humanity, feel empty without an iPhone in a hand or a TV in the background. Convince them that they need to watch the Today Show to keep up with the news. Arrange birthday parties for their kids at Chuck E. Cheese and for adults at Dave and Buster's. Call their cell phone on their way to work and, and especially during meals. Put TV, put TV screens in restaurants, waiting rooms, and airplanes, anywhere humans might have time to sit and reflect. Make sure every restaurant serenades them with the latest pop tunes and turn up the volume so it's impossible to have a quiet dinner and a focused conversation. Over time, the humans will grow unaware of high-pitched ringing in their ears, their heart racing, and their constant craving for more volume and more stimulation. Delightful, he says. Peace and quiet, after all, are the enemy's handiwork, God's work. He waits patiently for them in the stillness, whispering for them to rest or ponder or even to pray and meditate. The very thought sickens me, says the devil. Keep in mind that silence, solitude, and reflection is a breathing ground for all manners of destructive outcomes. Rest gives them refreshed bodies and a clear mind. Clarity draws them to what we most, what we most hate, truth. In such moments, their vision grows strong and their purpose is rekindled. I warn you, for hell's sake, do not let this happen. I think it's true. We need to learn how to rest and retreat to know what the will of God is. And to do that, we need the mind of God. And to do that, we need to fight against the kingdom of noise. And number five, you need to rest and retreat so you return with a full assurance that God is for you. Now, it's interesting. We find Jesus one more time praying, and it's a Gethsemane. 
And we find him in a time with the father, kneeling down and praying. You guys remember that? And he's asking this. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know what's interesting about that passage? This is right before it goes to the cross. And once again, Jesus is looking for spiritual strength. He knows what is about to happen. He knows that when he goes to the cross, the wrath of God will be upon him, and the sins from the past, present, and future will be all upon him. That the consequences of our sin will be all, all upon him. And once again, he looks for the Father to grieve. And he says to him, Father, if, it's, if you're willing, please take this cup from me. In the midst of his struggle and pain and agony, he still prays to the Father. And he prays more earnestly and he prays to the point that, he's, that he sweats blood. Because he knows that the only place to go in the midst of grief and the only place to go for a spiritual strength is to God. But he also retreats in the midst of this pain because he needs the mind of God. God, not my will, but your will. You know what's interesting about that passage, though? That he retreats to God. And he wants the rest of God. But like never before, he got nothing. So he goes to the cross. And he prays once again. Once again, Jesus is in need of the presence of the Father. Once again, he prays because he's in pain. Once again, he needs a spiritual power as he's nailed naked to a wooden cross. And once again, he gets nothing. And you know what he says? Why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he said that? Because he needed to take that cup so we could take this cup that reminds us that in Jesus, we have an identity. God cares for us. And God is always present. See, that's part of the reason why we got to celebrate communion, you know? We remember who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. You know that you don't have nothing to prove. Jesus already forgave you. He died for you. He forgave you. He accepted you. You have been justified and loved by God, adopted by God. Nothing to prove. That's why we have to celebrate communion. If you ever doubt that God cares for you, just look at what Jesus did for you. Doesn't he care for you? Jesus bled for you. And just in case you forget, just in case you forget that you have nothing to gain, remember that what you really needed, you already gained. You know what that is? God in Jesus. So I want to invite you to participate in communion. If you're a believer, this is for you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is for you. So the Bible calls us in Colossians chapter 3 to have our hearts set on things above and to have our minds set on things above where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God.
we rest and retreat to think about Jesus, to love Jesus, and to find Jesus beautiful. So I want to invite you before participating for you to take some time of reflection. Time for you and God alone. And if there's anything you need to surrender, this is the time to do it. Let's, let's do that together. Let's remove the first cover of your cup and hold the bread and listen to the words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. You may now remove the second cover of your cup. And the scripture says that in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, as these elements enter into our system, Lord, we do it because we need to remember who Jesus is and what he did for us at the cross. Lord, please help us to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. Help us, Lord, set our minds and our hearts and the things above where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Please help us remember that he already accomplished everything that is needed in order for us to find rest. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches.
how can it be that we have a God that would die for me? Before uh, receiving the benediction, I wanted to just share with you something really quick in regards to COVID and how we're dealing with this as a church. Uh, We know that uh, things are getting a little bit crazy again. We know that many of us uh, have gotten COVID again, and we know people that have gotten COVID. I know that some people already recovered, and we know that people are still struggling with this. And I want you to know that as a church, we take this serious and we pray about this and we seek for God's mind in the midst of all of this. Um, So I want to invite you to continue to pray for us, to pray for the church, to pray for wisdom, how to make decisions. And we want to be supportive as much as we can. And we want to be sensitive to people's opinions and convictions 
and realities during this season. One thing that is important for us, and it's important for me, for you to remember, that we are a family. And in a family, we extend grace and mercy, and we're supportive, and we understand one another as much as we can. We all have the freedom to have certain convictions. But your convictions cannot take away from you uh, the love for your brothers and sisters. Amen? Regardless in whatever position you are. So I'm here to tell you that we don't feel and understand that we need to make major, uh, major, major changes in the church uh, at this moment. We feel that more and more people might want to wear the mask, and why we want to respect that. So we're going to extend our mask sections a little bit more. Um, if you want to know what those areas are, usually you find them uh, right uh, by the alley, and it says this is a mask section. Uh, so this is what I want from you. I, I want you to love and respect your brothers, whether they wear a mask or they don't. Amen. And I want you to be patient, asking that the Lord finally takes this thing away. Could you please do that? Let's pray. Oh, let's receive the blessing. Well, yeah, let's pray and receive the blessing. Lord, we come before you, acknowledging that this continues to be a struggle. But we are trusting, Lord, that you are moving in the midst of all of this, and that at one point we will see that you take this away. Now, Lord, we want to receive the blessing that Jesus guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you.